stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, all of the stuff that I do with Get Off The Bench, I do workshops and that kind of stuff, and I help people to kickstart ideas. One of the things that I hear often is I'm too old or I'm too young. And of course, some people say I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time, but I call a bit of BS on that. But this age thing is a real barrier to a lot of people. Now, in 2014, I wrote the book Magnificent Kids, and all of those kids were, there was 23 kids that are changing the world, and all of them were under 18 when they started projects that were phenomenal. And ever since then, I've been on this real, I don't know, a real thing about making sure that we promote young people and showcase how much they actually care and how much they give, how much they know and how much they're prepared to step up and make a difference to the world. So I've had a few on this podcast. I intend to have several more. I've got a few more lined up and I just love what the young people are doing. Today I'm speaking with Nikita Dewan and she's from New Delhi in India and she is really, really focusing on and freeing an elephant from a zoo. And with everything I have, I hope she succeeds. You're going to absolutely love this conversation. You're going to love her maturity and wisdom. And as you'll hear in the interview, I tell her that she's got some uh, some other incredible characteristics that really stand out. So welcome, Nikita. Hi. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to be chatting with you too. I've been watching you, following you and, you know, chatting with you on LinkedIn for some time now. And I have to tell you, when I first saw, when I before we even connected, I saw one of your posts that someone else commented on and I thought, who is this? Who is this young girl? And I don't mean that in a, you know, but you're not a baby. Who is this young woman mm-hmm. who is so dedicated to this uh, elephant so I, I want to talk about that soon, but I just, I've been, keep keep watching you and you just, your dedication, you know, to helping animals is phenomenal. And I've got so much admiration for what you do. So you're just wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, you, you're amazing. And you know what? I think that there's not enough people out there fighting for animal causes. So yeah. it's pretty close to my heart. So I, I would love to share your story and what you're doing, you know, with anybody who cares to listen. So so let's talk about it. How's that sound? Yeah, great. How old are you first? I'm 17. 17. Now, you know what? I do a lot of get-off-the-bench workshops and, you know, the two things I hear 
is I'm I'm too old. And at the other end of the scale, oh, my daughter wants to do stuff, but I don't think she's old enough. So mm-hmm. how, how old were you when you started, um, you know, really advocating loudly? Um, so I started an initiative called Youth for Animals, just for young people to advocate about animals, but it was mostly on social media. So I started that in um, 2020. So I think I was like between nine and 10th grade. And I started specifically advocating for Shankar the elephant last October. So I would have been around 16. And that's when it kind of like um, really started to kickstart. But I don't think, yeah, I don't really think there's any age where you're like too young to do anything. I think it's best when you're young. Yeah. So do I. I wrote a book called Magnificent Kids, you know, and that was in 2014. And it showcased 23 kids from around the world who were doing changing the world, you know, because I really wanted to show people that we've got to stop putting kids in a box where they're like, they're too young, they can't do stuff, they're not ready yet, you know what I mean? They haven't learned yeah. anything yet. And, I, and because I think I think young people are our future and I, and I think that we've got to, we, we've got to trust them with our planet. We have to because we haven't done a good enough job and we have to, you know, uh, trust the trust the young people and empower them to make a difference in the world. So I'm with you 100%. Now, tell us about Youth for Animals. So, like, you just, you just touched on it, it was a social media initiative, but, t- you know, tell us all about it. Yeah, sure. So um, I think it's it started basically during the pandemic. It was just, I was just feeling very confined and trapped in my house, just like everyone else. And I couldn't meet my friends, just feeling very isolated. And I think that experience allowed me to reflect on how uh, animals feel in captivity because they go through this every day. And that's for our entertainment and for us to go to zoos and aquariums to just look at them. Like I felt like it was sort of an art gallery because I don't really feel like you learn anything despite what they say about its education, education purposes. So I think that was the main motivator. So I just like called my brother and I was like, we should start a petition that like advocates against zoos. So we actually started with a petition, which was like ban all zoos, which I'm realizing is extreme right now. But that was the initial um, thing we did. And then that really led into Youth for Animals, where we broadened our scope to not just zoos, but general animal welfare. So we have around uh, we have around six volunteers listed on our website, but I think it's a lot about just people coming and going. We've had a lot of young people contribute to collective projects we've done. Yeah. So we just started out pretty simple, you know, like writing articles. Uh, we had art campaigns and uh, just talking on social media. That was um, what it was mainly about. But I think it was really um, good in the sense that we were able to amplify young people's voices, which, like, as you said, it's important to empower them. And, um, yeah, that's how Youth for Animals kind of started. So when you said you've got, like, six regular volunteers, but you've had a lot of other uh, youth come and go, is is it hard to... I have this argument with a lot of people. It's not really an argument. It's a debate. We have a lot of conversation around this. Um, A lot of people say that youth or young people, teenagers, can't be motivated. They say that they're kind of sitting in this, I can't be bothered, you know, kind of thing. And yet there's another stream of thought, which I've got, is that 
Yes, they can be like that, but unless, but if we don't help them to find their purpose or to have some meaning or to, to make them feel that they can make a difference in the world, we're failing them. You know, we, we need to do better. So w- when you get all these people coming through, do you think they're self-motivated, you know, to make a difference to the planet? Or do you think they, you know, maybe have been push to do it or or like like do you think it's intrinsic or do you think it's um extrinsic stuff that's going on that's sending them like like pushing them towards it is that an is that an easy question or I make that complicated no no, no it's, <laughs> I um I completely agree with uh your perspective on it actually I think a lot of the people I've met most of them are just intrinsically motivated to help yeah. animals and just in the general field of um, environmental sustainability. I've met so many, so many young people, like I've just seen them on social media and they are just, I think what's really nice about just young people is that they're actually doing the action. Like it's very apparent, like they're going out, they're organizing drives, they're involving and trying to mentor other kids. So I think I see, and especially through social media, that allows more people to get involved. So I think definitely it is an intrinsic thing that people want to help. But as you said, some people don't know where to start. It just feels the problem seems too big to tackle from just one person. So that's why I think it's important to have um, collaboration and just platforms where you feel like people are listening to you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think that you hit on something there about, you know, being overwhelmed and feeling like the problem's too big. And I, and I see that a lot with adults, Do you, you know, is that the problem's too big? It's, yeah, I know there's a problem with climate change. Yeah, I know we shouldn't do this, but I can't make a difference. Do you know, it's no, just because I put my cartons in a, in a different container, you know, and recycle, that's not going to change anything. But I think if, and you, I'm sure you agree, that if everybody does just a little bit extra, you know, when we move dramatically towards a better place, if we can all just do one little thing or two little things, you know, to make a difference. What do you reckon? Yeah, and I think it's really about also just a change in mindset, even if you are doing something and you're like, oh, like I can't individually by just like recycling can't do anything. If everyone starts recycling, then that's just a collective like kind of cultural shift, which is going to make a large impact. Um, and I think it's a good way of dealing with, you know, there's, there's so many problems. There's so many different ways to tackle it. It can definitely be uh, overwhelming for adults and children. Yeah, I agree. I was in Hawaii many years ago and I went into this gift shop and I had one of those little cards, you know, the cards that have sayings on them. Do you know, I don't know if yeah. you've seen them. And it, and it had, there's, there was a bit more to it, but basically the message was I'm only one, meaning that what can I do? Do you? But I'm only one, but still I'm one, you know, and that still I'm one means, you know, like I'm still somebody. I'm st- I still can make a difference. I still can do my thing. So I really would love to see people just think, yeah, you know, I really can make a difference. So do you where did your drive for animals come from? Like when you're talking about intrinsic, you know, that the, the people you say is yours intrinsic and, 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 and at what age? Like, were you? Have you always been this kind of person from a young, really young age? I know you said about COVID, but what about younger? Were you always driven to make a difference or to love animals? Or um, I think so. I mean, I think my main passion for animals did begin during that period. But I think generally I've always been someone who um, 
I just like like to I don't want to say this I like to be empathetic towards people who couldn't speak because when I was young I was actually very quiet and I felt like often that allowed me just to empathize with other things I mean animals who can't speak and people often say you know an animal doesn't have a voice but I don't think that should that justifies us uh, treating them any less than we are so yes. I think just um, me being a quiet person and me being trying to be very aware about others feelings and um, mm. suffering since animals suffer just like we do and just that collective like social experience I think that just lended me to become more interested in animals but yeah I would say my main like activism really started to develop um, with Youth for Animals. Yeah well and, and it's, it's interesting isn't it that you know, two weeks ago I had Kate Parker on and she does work for Sea Shepherd, you know, and she's also um, just started a thing, Daughters of the Deep. And, and she said for her it started, she started watching some animal activism um, videos like um, I can't think what she which one she said, but, you know, there's a real, and they're full on, right, they really show you the the the, the, the horrible stuff. And she said she was, she watched them and then she thought, why don't I know this stuff? Why didn't why didn't I know this stuff before? And I think with with animals or, or not just animals, um, you know, the women in Iran, you know, we've got all sorts of things going on all around the world where people people and animals or other beings are suppressed, you're oppressed, you know, and we keep it down. And unless we actually, unless it's under our nose, you know, or we go digging for the information, it's not it's not for public viewing. Do you, you know it, it's it's it doesn't just show up all the time and, and become a societal question about should we do this, should we not do that? So I, I like that when you're saying about in, in COVID that you suddenly felt, you know, the same as what an animal would feel. And I, I think sometimes we don't actually acknowledge it or anything until we're in a situation where we can truly empathise, you know, with that mm. um Space. I wrote a song many years ago, maybe in 2010, called Broken, and it was from the perspective of a of a dog, but it could, doesn't have to be a dog. But inside an animal experimentation lab, do you know? And, and and what would that animal be feeling? And I think we forget. You said it. You know that they feel the same as us, and they they feel pain. They they feel hurt. And it's it's not until we stop and think. We think, why would we do that? What you know, we're we're not a superior species. Humans are not a superior species because we inflict so much cruelty. And and why would we think that's okay? Do you, I don't understand it. You know, but any any. I think like um, there's been like some research and like just discussion about the idea of speciesism is when you discriminate against another species on the basis that oh they're just another species so we can treat them like this and that you know lends to um, animal testing and just consuming and using animal products in general so like for me and just like for many people I just when I went to a zoo I was like oh it's normal it's just like you can go and just have fun and the animals are enjoying it or but then you actually start to realize what's under the facade and um I think it really also talks about just expanding our moral circles to animals and realizing that we are not, you know, the center of the universe. They're also cohabitants of our planet. 
and they suffer the same as us and feel the same emotions. So I think that why can't why can we treat them with the same you know consideration? And I would recommend um, there's a book called Animal Liberation by Peter Singer, yeah. and it talks about this how why do we view animals as inferior? What is the innate bias towards them and how we can sort of um, bridge that gap? So I think that was like a very um, enlightening sort of um, experience of reading it. Yeah. That that book's very life-changing, actually, if, mm-hmm. if anybody was to read it. Yeah, it's really good. So, you know, when you talk about zoos, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people who say uh, we need zoos because we need to... Keep the keep the species alive through breeding and that kind of thing. What what do you think about that? I don't think that's a valid argument. I'm pretty sure I've I've heard other expert experts talk about it, and they've uh, mentioned that a majority of the money that the zoos receive does not go towards the conservation of the species. It just goes through you know public exhibition, and that just also. Um, it's just a question of why do they need to be public, publicly exhibited? Because that's just the entertainment. You're just feeding into um, the entertainment value of animals and exploiting them for that. So I think that um, rescue centers, sanctuaries, those are more concerned with the conservation of animals. But I, I don't know, I'm not an expert on it specifically, but that is the, I guess, consensus I've heard other people say against zoos. Yeah. And I think you need to look at it like there, there, there are some zoos that, that seem okay, but there are some zoos that are horrible. Do you know, you know, and you can you can literally see that they're they're sitting in their own poop, you know, they they've got no water, it's no clean water, they're starving, you know, that sort of stuff. And I, I just think that I'm not advocating for any of them, actually. I'm just, I agree with you. I don't think that animals should be on display. I don't believe in animals being here for our entertainment, do you, you know, and it's for, mm-hmm. for any use. And it's, it's, I always feel sorry for the elephants, you know, in particular. And and you've really targeted a campaign. So right now you're, you you live in India. And, and I, by the way, I've got to say this, I notice more activists coming from India than anywhere else. Do you, I don't know whether I'm just in, attuned to that, but I think India is absolutely, absolutely showing the rest of the world, you know, as far as young people go, do you know, that, that hey, we mean business and we're going to change because I've seen more incredible activists come out of India than anywhere else. So I, I reckon India is doing something right. I, I, I think that's... No, I really do. I think some somehow India is giving kids young people a voice. And I'm 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 wrapped about that. Now you're in New Delhi in India, and the animal the, the elephant you were talking about before is Shankar and who is in the New Delhi zoo. So why why did you target that? you know, Shankar for a campaign, like when when you could pick hundreds of animals in hundreds of zoos and everything else. I know and I know that one's close to you, but did you go to the zoo and see Shankar and think, oh my God, this is awful? Or or how did you how did you decide to campaign for Shankar? Yeah, I think um I started off just seeing a um sort of a report by the Central Zoo Authority, which controls all the zoos in India. And they had said that they had banned the exhibition 
of elephants in um, Delhi in, in India in 2009. And I knew we had three elephants in like the, my, in the zoo itself in Delhi. So I was very confused about that. So I just thought I'd visit the zoo. And yes, it was really just Shankar's condition, which um, inspired me to fight for him just because I was so heartbroken by what I was seeing because he was in complete solitary confinement. He had no visual or auditory communication with the other two Asian elephants, which are together. And there's a railway line right next to him. So it was so it was loud even for me. I couldn't imagine he lived there. And elephant's ears are very sensitive. His uh, enclosure was barely an acre, which is the minimum for um, elephants. And they usually walk like 50 mm. to 60 kilometers in the wild. And there was just no enrichment there. He couldn't forage for food. There was no natural vegetation. There was there was no water body the first time I went there. I think they added one, but it's still not adequate. And um, he was chained for, we talked to the caretaker. He told us he was chained for 17 hours a day. Oh. And um, he was just let out when the public was there. And even then, I think he was still partly chained. And I think one of the main things I noticed is when we were, um, there were many people there, he was swaying side to side and like bobbing his head, which is a sign of stereotypical or repetitive behavior from dis the distress of being captive. And the people around me, they were like, oh, yay, he's dancing. But, you know, clearly he was, it was the opposite. And that just also told me how um, people aren't, people aren't aware of what animals go through in zoos. So I think that really inspired me to fight for Shankar. And it was also just because I learned he was the one of the only two African elephants in India. There's another one in uh, near Bangalore. So I just found it weird. He was, he came here just for context. He came here in 1998 with another elephant named Bombay, but she unfortunately passed away in like 2005. So he's been alone ever since for 16 and plus years. So I think that aspect of being solitary, especially when he's an elephant, which are incredibly social animals, also just made me more motivated for, you know, him in particular. Mm. So he's an African elephant and the other two are Asian elephants. Do you mm. know enough about elephants? Because I don't. Can they can they mix the two? Like do the two can they? They can. They can. I think they had, um, usually they don't uh, mesh well together. And I think they had tried putting Shankar with the other two, but he was too aggressive to, um, so they had to separate him. And the caretaker was telling us, he was like, yes, like this elephant is very aggressive. He's gone mad. And um, he was also a diplomatic gift from Zimbabwe. So um, like, I don't think it, it was just, it just made the court case more complicated that he was a gift and, mm. um, yeah. And that's something that they used to do a lot of, you know, is is kings or royalty or, you know, or emperors, whatever they used to be called back there, would give gifts to, to the to the head of other countries and that kind of stuff, which is, and a white elephant it, it used to be, you know, they had, they said the white elephants and, because you couldn't do anything with them, and they used to actually trade them as as gifts a long yeah. time ago, and that's where it came from. So, what about the other the other African elephant that's in another zoo? I mean, do, do you when you're doing your campaigning, do you have you ever 
um, brought that up as a possibility that the two of them can be together? Or have you had any, you know, thoughts on that or discussions with anybody on that? Yeah, um, I've actually visited the zoo near Bangalore. I wanted to see um, the other African elephant's condition, uh, name is Rambo. And he was actually sent here with his um, like parents, but they passed away. Um, but what I did notice was different about Rambo's condition is that he had visual communication with the other Asian elephants there. Yeah. So he, his enclosure was right next to theirs and they sometimes like touch trunks. So I think... And the zoo was honestly just in better condition. So I think that's why I decided to focus on Shankar first. Yeah, yeah. But when we we had planned, if, you know, Shankar's case, it works out, then we would suggest to um, the government to also consider Rambo in this situation. And our first demand was taking Shankar back to a sanctuary in Africa. So we would hope for the same for Rambo. As we're putting the two elephants together, that's definitely a possibility and I think that would be a good solution if, you know, if we have a domestic sanctuary for Shankar, then both of them can be together and have more gradual introduction. Mm -hmm. But there is a chance that they won't, um, like their social, whatever, interactions yeah. are very complex. So there's a chance it won't work out. But I think that's definitely um, a good solution we're considering. So is there a, a domestic a sanctuary in India or on, or somewhere in Asia, you know, close and like even in another country close by, you know, that, that he could be relocated to? Yeah, um, they're around, there are few elephant sanctuaries in India, but they are over there. But I think the reason we were looking for a sanctuary abroad is because we wanted Shankar to interact with other African elephants yes. and yeah. not just necessarily one, but have like that herd and just have more space because in India they're, Otherwise, they're only Asian elephants. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about nearby, but I think we were, um, there are other elephant sanctuaries, but those have Asian elephants again. Like I think the Cambodia um, elephant sanctuary or some sanctuaries, they only accept female elephants. So um, it's difficult. It, I think it's very difficult to integrate a male African elephant. That's what everyone's told me. They're like, oh, they're the most difficult to incorporate. So I think, um, that's why we were looking at um, a place in Africa for them. Well, I hope you achieve it because it would be so nice and they live for so long, Do you, you know, yeah. and it's it's just such a sad, sad life to, to be yeah. locked up. It's not just the locked up, it's the condition. It's, a, it's the, the fact that he's got no stimulation, the fact that his well-being is, you know, deteriorating. It's, it's I think it's bloody... Bloody awful! And you did the the um, the petition. You got over two hundred thousand uh, signatures. When you took it, when you filed it with the High Court of Delhi, is is that what it was? Yeah, the Delhi High Court is. When will they consider it, or have they given you any um, indication that they're considering it, or like, is there anything going on? Any progress? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just like give you a brief timeline as well. We had filed the official petition in December, and then I think some of our hearings were postponed. But then in March, they accepted the petition in the high court. So that was an accomplishment. And then um, we had one in around June or July. And the court had ordered the zoo a, to say, you have to do a examination of Shankar. But we weren't satisfied with the report the zoo had provided. 
because firstly, it was just a visual inspection of the elephant. And we don't think that gives adequate information about his mental health, especially. Mm. And also the zoo suggested bringing in more female African elephants because they were like, if he's so lonely, just get more elephants. But we are completely against that solution. We think that's against what we're advocating for. The goal is to stop captivating more, more elephants. And also, if one of them dies again, you're stuck in the same problem. And there's no space in the Delhi Zoo. You can't even, you need so much space for multiple elephants. So there's just, um, so we weren't happy with what the zoo has provided. And right now, I think our next court hearing is for around early next year. So I think um, we just have to have discussion again with the court and just, um, yeah, that's the progress. I would say it has been sort of slow right now just because it is the court, but um, hopefully we have a good outcome mm. next year. So when you say that they, you're presenting it to court, do you go? Like, do you do you go to the court and present your I personally, I can't go since I think the petitioner is not allowed, but... I, I can see it online, so I'm just like on my computer looking at it on the screen. But our, our lawyers do go, okay. and then the um, representatives of the zoo and ministry also show up. So, so you've got to pay for those lawyers. Um, actually, they're doing it on a pro bono basis, which is oh, really so, nice. They're very funny. empathetic towards the cause. So, um, yeah, that's been really great. Oh, that's fantastic. So do you think, um, I know this is a bit of a woo-woo question, do you think uh, Shaka, uh, what, what, am I, what am I saying, Shankar, um, do you think intuitively he knows someone's trying to fight for him? I hope so. I mean, I'm not really sure, but um, I do visit him um, sometimes and um, I can't even imagine how bad it is in the winter, but yeah. Um, it's just, I think the zoo has at least made some changes. Like they've added a small water body. They've extended his property a bit. And I think they're really advocating for, we'll make the conditions better in the zoo, but I, I still don't think that's, I don't think that's adequate. Yeah. When you go and visit him, does it break your heart? Do you, do you just want to say to him, I'm, I'm fighting for you? It's making me cry. I know. Oh, God. No, I do. I feel so bad. Um, He honestly, he just goes back and forth, just pacing. And it's just, he can barely take like 20 steps. It's just back. So um, at least more people are aware, though. So I hope that um, his conditions do get better. So do I. And you've had extensive media, like, like, Tons and tons and tons of media, you know, like where's my bit of paper? You've been in the Indian um, and international media, including BBC, ABC News, Newsweek, Financial Times, Hindustan Times, Times of India, uh, Indian Express. So you've had stacks of coverage, you know, in the media. Are they positive? Is that media positive towards you? you like, or are they just saying some kids trying to get the elephant out? Or are they really saying yes? We agree with Nikita, this, this should happen, or are they a bit of a mix? I think overall it has been really positive. I mean, for the interviews that I spoke of, obviously they were supportive, but um, I'm trying to think of any criticism. I mean, obviously by the zoo, there's some reports which are interviewing me and the zoo, so um, hearing the director of the zoo's opinions, or I personally thought they were like 
contradicting themselves and not really <laughs> making sense. But yeah. um, we have had some criticism in that aspect. Also, this is like really random, but I'm pretty sure someone was like, oh, she's not even, she goes to an American school. So this is like some foreigner, like the foreigners are trying to um, intervene in Indian affairs. I think it doesn't make sense to make this a political matter at all. Even at, even in the court hearing, the what someone had mentioned, this is our property, like Shankar is our property. India can take care of him. And I think just like, it's not about the country. It's not about like saying India is worse, Africa is better. It's just about the condition of the zoo and what's doing best for the elephant. So I think making it political or relating it to foreign versus domestic um, competition, I don't think it makes any sense because it's it's about animals in the end. So, um, yeah. And it's about all animals. I mean, you may be focused on one animal, but, but mm-hmm. if you keep focusing on it and you keep bringing it up and it keeps getting media coverage, it starts to raise questions about other animals. Do, you know, people say, well, hang on, well, what about the tigers? They don't look yeah. very good either. What about the lions? They don't look very good either. Why are we keeping, you know, silverback apes, silverback or whatever they are? You know, why are we keeping them? You know, so it starts to, I think it starts to raise a lot of questions and it starts to raise awareness for people to, to start thinking, wait a second, I don't think this is right. This isn't right. Why are we doing this? Do you have people telling you to give up? Um, yes. Well, not give up, but I've had a lot of people say this is too much of an idealistic solution, hoping that he'll go back to Africa. And they're just saying, do what's feasible, do what's rational, work with the government, which is, I guess, good advice. But I think at the same time, you can still be rational, but still be idealistic. I don't think you always have to settle for the suboptimal solution. Yeah. So that's why I think especially just that's a problem with like young activists. Many people are like, oh, you're too utopian in what you want. It's too it's just too idealistic. But I don't think there's a problem with that, because if you. I think it's good to be ambitious in this um, perspective um, because that's what really opens the conversation about animals. I mean, um, I'm just thinking of an example in New York, there was a case for Happy the Elephant. They're arguing for personhood for her. And I think that's just a good example of what's being ambitious. Yes, it's like, yes, it's radical and it doesn't seem rational, but I think that's what actually sparks change. So I've definitely had people say, um, it's not a feasible solution, but we've sort of, um, I think to counter that, all you really need is science-backed research. You need facts. So um, we've done a lot of research on and talked to a lot of experts about what is possible for Shankar. It's not, we're not just like, oh yeah, he should go back because that emotionally makes sense. Mm-hmm. We've put more research into it and we actually contacted a UK charity, Aspinall Foundation, and they're, they have sanctuaries in Africa, and they're willing to pay for and facilitate Shankar's transportation back to their African sanctuary. Wow. So, and they're, you know, experts on rewilding in this. So we do have, you know, um, we are providing, I think that's important, providing solutions, not just saying things. So I think that's really helped us gain credibility. That's amazing. Like, I'm just thinking when you said, We've got that. What, what was that organization again? In, in Aspinall Foundation. Aspinall. That. So when, as you were talking before, I was thinking, 
So the government might be thinking, well, we're not going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, to, to transport this elephant back to Africa and Africa's not going to pay it. Therefore, you know, that the big lofty goal that you've got, you know, they could argue, well, why should we pay all this money? Yeah. But but now you're saying that this other organisation, which I don't agree with, by the way, I think they can afford it. But but now you're saying this this Aspinall is saying we we're going to pay for it. We can pay for it. We do have the sanctuary. We do have the 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 space. So in actual fact, when you're talking about uh, lofty goals, you know, like these big goals that are a little bit idealistic and everything else, they're actually not like that. Like the the fact is. You could do it, and the and it's not your lofty goals that are stopping you. It's one person or one group of people making a decision and just saying yes. Here you go, yeah. there yeah. you go. Like if we, if it's not going to cost us any money, and you're going to facilitate it all, we'll just tick the box. You can have Shankar back, do, and so it's not actually that's rational to me. Do, you know, that's the rational solution. And I don't think it's a big idealistic goal. I think you've actually got the logistics already already work. So in actual fact, it's just not moving because people are being stubborn. That's really the truth. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's definitely been hard, but I, I really don't know where the government stands right now with it. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait till next year, January. To see yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to criticise the government. I don't want them hearing this and then not and then saying bugger it. We're not going to do it because you know I think the government is, is has advanced a long way. Do, you know, and and I don't see I don't see this as being a major um, a major setback for the government to just say yeah, let let's just do this. Do you, you know and 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 prove to the rest of the world that they're actually um, you know forward thinking and in a much better place than a lot of other governments. I think that's, I think they could do that. Now you've got um, tons of awards. I, I just want to, uh, let me read them out because if I try, I'm not going to try and remember them because it won't work. So you uh, received the a very prestigious Diana Award, which is uh, from uh, Princess Diana Award, and the Youth Award from the Federation of Indian Animal Protection Organisation. You're also a youth ambassador for Born Free Foundation and Earth Day Org and a member of the IUCN's Commission on Education and Communication. And you're also a host on a UK radio station called All About Animals Radio. So you're not just somebody who said, well, I'm just going to get a petition signed and sit around and just wait for that to happen. Like you, you're you're actually moving and shaking in a lot of areas and you're putting your money where your mouth is and saying, no, no, I mean business. You know, I'm going to make sure that I'm um, vis visible in, in so many spaces, you know, and that I've got a voice on the table. And I absolutely love that. Well, what did you win the Diana Award for? Um, it was just for this initiative, the Shunker yeah. um, campaign. But yeah, that was really, really cool. Um, the cool thing is that um, a few, like other young people wanted as well, like around the world. So um, just I think, again, that's just a testament to um, how young people are the future. So it was very nice, um, very honored to receive that. Is it just for young people, the Diana Award? Yeah. Yeah. Up to what age? Like what, what's the age? Um, 
I don't know. I, I think it's just young people, but I've seen some really young people there, like 12, 13. They're already like doing so many things. So that's been very cool. Yeah. And this is for the, um, this they do one every year, uh, yes. an award every year. See, and you, and you, like, I just think that um, there are so many people who could say, uh, what's the point? I really, I'm so, I feel so sad for that elephant. You know, I wish there was something we could do. And a lot of people are blocked by feeling like there is nothing I can do. do you, so it takes a lot of courage to actually take on the government and to take on the high court, you, you know, to just to, to like, like you can initially look at this elephant and go, that's really sad and that's almost seemingly impossible to move this elephant, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, what is it? What is it in you? What, what's that special thing that you have? Uh, and I'm putting you on the spot here. You may not have an answer. But what do you think it is? Like, what's that thing, that characteristic within you that says, "I'm not stopping. I'm doing this, despite the odds." Um, I, honestly, I just think it's my love for animals, <laughs> love for Shankar, and just how much I feel for him. And I would say a lot of it is also just the support and like collabor collaborative efforts that have gone into it. Because a lot of people, actually the reason I first knew about Shankar is because of a journalist who I met and he's been very, very supportive throughout the process. And um, he's actually who got me in touch with Aspinall Foundation. There are many other organizations which have provided, you know, a support letter. So I think that amount of just support and mentorship that, you know, Youth for Animals has received in the campaign has been has allowed us to continue being resilient and also um, just not settling for uh, suboptimal solutions, I think, um, has been really important. So, yeah. I hear what you're saying and you, I think you're brushing it down a little bit because, you know, you're sort of saying, oh, it's just my love for Shanka, you know, and it just happened now. I don't agree. I think that this is a, an innate characteristic of yours, you know, and, a, and perhaps it's empathy or integrity, resilience, courage. Do you know, you, you know you, I don't think you just developed that when you suddenly saw this elephant. Mm -hmm. I, I think that you were born with it. I think that this is part of who you are. And, and it's what makes you stand up. Do you, you know, I, I think. Thank you so much. I appreciate it a lot. No, oh, I mean it because I don't, I don't think you can just suddenly switch like that. I think that it's, even if it didn't, even if you didn't act on it prior to this, you know, it just sat within you. I, I don't think you can just suddenly get those things. I think you've activated, Shankar has activated that stuff in you, you know, just brought it to the surface and, and off you've gone with it. But I, I deeply, deeply believe that it was sitting within you in the first place, all of those amazing things, you know, it, it takes a lot of guts and a lot of grit, you know, to, to keep pushing um, for something that it's probable that nothing will happen. But, mm -hmm. but it's, yeah. it's the possibility that something might happen is what provides that optimism. And there you go, optimism should be added to that list as well because, you know, if if it's possible, then we should keep should keep fighting for it. So, I I, I absolutely love you, what you're doing, but as and not not but and and as a whole for you, all of society, like humanity is supposed to mean 
in my mind, humanity means kindness. You know, humanity means, and as humans, we're not we're not showing that a lot of the time. And, and perhaps perhaps the majority of humanity is kind, but doesn't know what to do. And perhaps it's just a, a minority core of bad people, do, you know, that are causing all the problems in the world. But how do we? I don't know, what do we need to do to get people to see that we need to protect animals? I know you're already doing your thing, but what, as a greater greater good, what are your thoughts? And I know you don't have to have the answer, but just what are your thoughts on that? I think specifically just for animal welfare, what we need is better education on it at a young age because Right now in schools, we aren't educated about compassion and really what, um, like when we learn about animals, it's usually just in an ecology book. It's just about one page about how they contribute in their environment, but it doesn't do justice to how much, um, how important animals are, not only for our own sustainability, but also how we should treat them with compassion and empathy and what it just means. Like you said, we have kindness, but we aren't, they aren't necessary. It isn't necessarily fostered in school environments. So I think that aspect of education is really, really important. And it would also give people the knowledge and confidence to learn how to say no, like no to uh, zoos, no to, you know, seeing public exhibitions of animals, to painting on elephants, bathing elephants, those things which are masked as, you know, having educational and entertainment value, we need to learn how to say no to them. And I think it's consumer demand, which ultimately fuels all of these things. So the second that we start, we do have the ability to change it because if we stop demanding for it, then it will, you know, eventually just phase out. And I think phasing out is, really important. I see that as a next step. Phasing out of zoos, I know several organizations like um, Born Free, they have like a plan for that. So I think starting young and starting at the root of just general compassion is really important to um, just build an environment where we value animals the same, the same level as we value ourselves. Yeah. And in actual fact, they're no less than us, you know, and, and it's just a story. It's a story that man has made up over time to take advantage, you know, of, of, of a of a weaker species. But I don't think they're weaker and I don't think they're less. I think they're they're amazing. But when you're talking about phasing out too, we've already phased out in most countries. Um, animals out of circuses, Do, you know, it, and it's it used to be the thing. You used to go and watch the monkeys ride on the elephant's backs and that was really funny and the and the lions jumping through hoops and that was really funny and everybody cheered and the poor little dog you know riding on the clown's bike and that sort of stuff and then eventually people said that's not funny wait a minute behind the scenes they're all tied up they're all locked in cages the elephants are chained you know this isn't this isn't entertainment you, you know that that's not a fair run and there was that elephant in um Hawaii you know there was there was a circus in Hawaii and the elephant 
decided to attack the zookeeper, you know, the one that was constantly. And by the way, if, if anyone's listening, you, you need to do some research on this because if you've ever heard of bullhooks, and bullhooks are, um, you know, big like they're, they're a, a length of steel with a hook on the end and that the trainers are stabbing the elephants with them to beat them into submission. And the elephants that you're riding, you know, at in Thailand and st- places like that, that uh elephant rides, those are babies that have been stolen from their families, stolen from their their herds, and they are beaten into submission with bull hooks and, and put in a wooden cage and they are just beaten to a point where they have got no spirit left. So, you know, I think that uh, I, I've seen that a lot of these elephant rides are starting to diminish a bit. You know, people are starting to question that, but it it. it the problem is it's not getting under people's noses enough. And so what you're doing, you keep constantly raising awareness. And I keep seeing you on LinkedIn saying this and this and this and this, you know, and it's possible that your feed is mostly hitting people like me who already agree with you, do you, you know, but um, if you don't show up, you know, with that sort of stuff, people just won't. People just won't know. And and any animal in captivity or any animal that's used for entertainment doesn't do it by choice. You know, your dog might do tricks because they love you and they just like to be around you and like to please you. Wild animals don't do tricks uh, by choice. And, you know, if anything comes from this podcast, I would just love even one person or two people to go away and, start to question that you know where do we get up where do we get animals where do we get these baby elephants from do you know where where do they come from like where are these lions coming from that are in zoos where did you know and even look at the numbers you know how much they've dwindled and you hit on some I'm, I'm going down a bit of a rave at the minute but this is important to me but you you know you're you touched on it before too um we say, well, we're, we've got bigger problems. We've got climate change. You know, we, we need to deal with that. I like bugger the animals. I mean, you know, they're too bad because what people aren't connecting is that the animals that are disappearing from our ecosystem and the dwindling numbers, all of that stuff is also contributing to climate change. Our earth is out of balance. It's completely out of balance. And when that happens, Mother Nature goes out of balance, and so it's it's a it's a very interconnected picture, isn't it? This whole yeah, I think a hundred percent. I think people just underestimate the value of animals in our ecosystems, yeah. which is just again because of the lack of education. I've when I learned about climate change, I've never learned about animals and their role of it we've seen them more as victims to the situation like them rather than like um, species that can actually help and there's research called there's this research called um, animating the carbon cycle where it talks about how rewilding animals can actually help our carbon um, sequestration efforts I, I know for specifically elephants by them just having their natural behavior in the forest by just um, trampling on smaller vegetation, they allow larger, and they're pruning the forest, they allow larger trees with more wood density 
it gives them less competition for like space and light to actually grow and sequester more carbon. So they've seen a positive association with the number of elephants in the forest and the carbon that um, it actually captures. So I think, and that's for so many other keystone species. For whales, they capture like 32, 33 tons of carbon dioxide in every year by just um, by just living. They don't do anything. They just capture it in their bodies. And um, also they said um, rewilding the Serengeti population. And I think it had offset a lot of carbon dioxide. It's just, there's just so much research on it. I would definitely recommend people checking it out on how rewilding and giving animals the opportunity to just engage in their wild behaviors will actually, like you said, set nature back into balance and just yeah. help our efforts. Yeah, and when I said at the very start of this that Kate, I was talking to Kate Parker, we talked about that, you know, the big experiment, the big thing they did in Yellowstone National Park, you know, they took mm. all the wolves out and it went, the whole thing, that the whole thing went bad. When they put the wolves in, the whole, whole ecosystem flourished again, you know, and I think that we we've, as humans need to stop, stop interfering to be honest, and stop thinking that we can dominate every species on the planet and just live in harmony. You said it at the very start of this interview, you know, we just, we can all share the planet and we can share it in harmony and we don't need to dominate each other and we don't need to dominate other species. And look at look at the way we treat other races, Do you, you know, like like the Black Lives Matter stuff. Look, look at the white supremacy that's happened for years, you, you know, years. And we don't need to dominate anybody else. Like we're all one. We're, we're all one. You know, the planet's one, the people are one, the animals are one. We're so interconnected that we need to be love each other. Do you, you know, and imagine the planet. Imagine if we could just do that. If we could just love a little bit more, imagine the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, again, the bias of the other when we see a group that's different to ours than we, our initial attempt, initial feeling is just to suppress it, to want to dominate it. So, yeah, um, yeah, completely agree with, you know, maintaining harmony. Yeah. And it's sad. Oh, I don't think we we don't, it's, we, we call ourselves the most intelligent species on the planet, and yet we don't behave like the most intelligent species. And I think we can I think there's so much we can do, and I'm just so glad that people like you, you know, are, are stepping up and and doing doing something rather than thinking this problem's way too big. I can't do anything because we're better to do something than nothing, you know. And God, I I, ho- I hope you. I really hope you do it. I really hope that you achieve it. I really do. But even if you don't, and that's not my preferred outcome, but even if you don't you will have raised a ton of awareness and potentially saved other animals in the future, do you, you know, or, or other species. And I, I think that nothing, nothing bad can come of, of what you're doing. So I absolutely, absolutely admire, admire what you're doing. Now, um, I have absolutely loved this conversation and I would love people to follow you and support you, you know, and go and really check out what you're doing and, and give your support, sign your petitions, do whatever they need to do to, to help you release Junker or at least do at least improve his situation in some way because he deserves it. So where can people find you and follow you? 
Yeah, so um, they can visit our website. It's just youthforanimals.org. We're on Twitter. It's just Youth for Animals. You can search it up and it will be there. And we're on Instagram and um, Facebook. So basically, um, you can find us anywhere. And our petition, um, it, it's linked on our website. It's a change.org petition. And um, if it's helpful, I can send the links as well for handles. Yep. No, I've, I'll put all the links in the show notes so that people can do that. So when you said the petition, people can still um, yeah. can still sign the petition. It hasn't closed yeah. or anything like no. that. Still. What number? What number would you need for the gov- the high court to shift anything? Did they give you a number, or you just? Uh, they don't give a number, but I'm guessing just as much as um, can yeah. show that people are willing to yeah support yeah. it. And if it keeps it keeps growing. They're, they're going to be under pressure, you know, by, yeah. by the growing numbers. So, Nikita, I have absolutely love this conversation. You are absolutely amazing. And um, by the way, we need to add compassion to that list of uh, lovely words I, I said about you because uh, you, you've got a massive heart and you're doing a massive job to make the world a better place and, uh, you know, I, I love it so much. So, so thank you so much for everything you're doing and thank you for coming on here and sharing your your story and your passion with everybody and reminding people that we're never, never too young to make a difference. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I was also looking at um, all the things you've done and um, you've just, you're also very dedicated to just like social causes in general. So I'm, and just a platform like this to allow other people to speak Um, I think it's very inspirational and also just brings people together. So, yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And thank you for the kind words. (laughs) Lovely. All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, you go and enjoy the rest of it. It's only morning over there in New Delhi. It's my late afternoon. So go and enjoy your Sunday. And and thank you very much for joining us. Love. Lots of love to you. Great. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. See ya. Oh, guys, how good is Nikita? Why can't we all just recognise that that humans don't have a right, you know, to, as I was saying, we don't have a right to dominate each other and we don't have a right to dominate other species and we don't have a right to trash the planet. And I, I think that people like Nikita that are really, really sort of, you know, creating these petitions and getting them to high courts and really trying to make change we need more of that, you know, and if you can't do it yourself, support people like that, like Nikita, you know, sign their petitions and 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 show your support because I, I imagine there's times when it gets hard, you know, and it feels like, feels a bit defeating, you know, and you just, I imagine that happens and I know that happens because it's happened to me. And I think that if there are people like you saying to her, I'm behind you, I support you, I'm with you, on those low days, that's the stuff that keeps people going. So I really hope you do go and support her, sign the petition. I'm going to. I didn't realise it was still open, so I'm going to go and do that. And follow her work. It's Youth for Animals, and that's there's a website, youthforanimals.org, which I'll put all the show notes, um, I'll put all the links in the show notes, and 
Facebook, Insta, and Twitter. So go and follow her. She's also on LinkedIn if you want to connect with her on LinkedIn and watch the great work that she's doing. Anyway, this stuff's pretty close to my heart. It makes me a bit cranky. It makes me really, really deeply touched in the heart, you know, when I see this stuff. And I, because I wrote the book Magnificent Kids, I'm really passionate about youth being empowered to make change. So if you've got any youth in your life, uh, don't look at them and think they're just a kid or they're too young because they're not and they care and they don't have all the limiting barriers that uh, the rest of us adults have. So really give them a platform. If your kid or someone you know in your sphere who's young wants to make change, please, please, please help them because they will make change. They're incredible and they are our future. So we have to trust them. All right, well, that's it because, you know, my rabbit rabbit holes, I'll keep going if you let me, but um, I'll stop. So pl- thank you so much for joining me every week. I absolutely, absolutely value that you care about the topics that we I bring to this podcast and the amazing people that come on and share their stories because without them, there wouldn't be a podcast. Without you, there wouldn't be a podcast. And without me, there wouldn't be a podcast. I thought I'd better throw that one in. So that's it. You have a fantastic week and I will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.